Welcome to Douglas Wilson's The Plodcast, presented by Canon Press. So, welcome to the podcast. This is Douglas Wilson. I am Douglas Wilson. Uh, welcome aboard. Good to have you here. Uh, always appreciate it when you come. So, I want to talk a little. I'm, I talk about culture and politics a lot. I'd like to change it up a little bit. Uh, and in this first segment, I want to talk a little bit about uh, uh, talk a little autobiographically and about my writing life uh, and a, and about a particular subset of my writing life. Um, and this, that subset has to do with the um, uh, the fiction I write. Not, I, I'm not going to go into all the fiction I've I've written, but I'm going to I'm going to use some of the some of the fiction that Canon Press has been publishing and talk uh, talk a little bit about how those books come into uh, come into being. And this is something I call um, I call writing from the hook. So writing from the hook. Um, so what's the, the, the first, uh, serious novel I've, I've written some fiction stuff for kids, but the first, uh, serious, uh, novel I wrote was called, um, even jellyfish. Well, and when I say serious, I don't mean <laughs> serious. It, it was sort of a dark comedy. It was, so serious has different meanings, right? By serious, I don't mean a long face. By serious, I mean uh, a book for grown-ups. Of course, you can write for kids and have it be serious. Never mind. So um, my point here is writing from the hook. So the so in even jellyfish, the hook was this. So you, it's sort of the germ of the idea, and sometimes the hook is the structure of the whole the plot. It's evident. What the hook is is evident to the whole world. And sometimes um, the hook is the plot twist or the the big reveal um, later in the, the book, but which the writer has been building up to all along. That's the hook. But I write from the hook in I, I when when my writing is successful, I I write from the hook. So um I'll, and I'll give you examples uh, from a few of my novels. So even jellyfish, uh, the hook is a megachurch. You've got a megachurch pastor who is accused of some um, wrongdoing, and the thing that he's accused of doing is the one dirty deed he did not do. So he's a he's a megachurch pastor who's been guilty of all kinds of misbehavior, but he's falsely accused of doing something he didn't do, right? So it's like a bank robber who's accused of robbing the one bank he didn't rob. (laughs) So this, um, this pastor, Chad Lester is a, um, is a bad guy, a disgrace to his, a disgrace to the office. And he's been getting away. He's been getting away with it. Um, in a, in an amazing fashion, and then in this uh, bizarre twist of events, he is accused of doing something where he's entirely innocent. He he didn't do it at all. So that's the hook. 
All right, so I've I've got the hook. Okay, a guilty guy who's innocent, a guilty guy who's innocent, and he's in the ministry and he's in, in the in a pastoral uh, role. That's the hook. Now, the first draft when I I wrote um, Chad Lester as the bad guy pastor, and the first draft of that novel didn't have any good characters in it. Uh, there's a Reformed Baptist pastor in there now. A guy, a guy named John Mitchell, who is, um, and the reason he's in there is the the first, um, the first draft had no good guys. Everybody was a toad, and uh, going through it, I thought, oh man, this is just this is way too dark. This the reader needs to breathe. The reader needs to have some people to identify with or to cheer for or root for, but. The, the hook was already there. The outlines of how he was accused, falsely accused, and how the truth comes out, that's, that's the hook. Um, a different kind of hook um, would be the, uh, so that kind of hook, the, the hook in even jellyfish is like the setup. That's the, that's the hook. Um, the the hook in I tried my hand at a romance novel, uh, The Man in the Dark, and the hook there is a, a man and a woman have a, a chance a, a chance sexual encounter um, in a brothel. She has uh, she um, has one night, one customer, one night in a brothel, and how that happened is all part of the setup. And he is rebelling against his Christian upbringing. He goes there, has sex with the prostitute in the brothel, and then they go their separate ways. And then independently of one another, they are both converted. They're both converted. And he goes into the ministry. And then he moves out to a town out west and his first Sunday there as a preacher, he recognizes her. He recognizes this parishioner of his as the woman he slept with years before, and he knows about it. She doesn't know about it, and the reader doesn't know about it. All they know is that he uh, sees her and is really rattled by it, and she's not rattled by him and the whole thing. So that, that hook is the big reveal. Uh, later in the later in the book, but it but the the hook is how they sinned and how in the sovereignty and providence of God they wind up getting back together. That's a that's a big reveal hook that is that is in my mind while I'm writing, but not in the reader's mind while they're reading. At least not the first time. Um, another uh, example of a of the hook uh, would be ride Sally ride. And the, and this idea for the hook was given to me. I, I dedicated the book to Darren Doan, who gave me the idea for the hook. What, it, what if you had someone uh, crush a sex doll, somebody's sex doll, and then th they get charged with murder because the owner of the sex doll identified that sex doll as his wife and so there's a charge of murder. So someone's on trial. Someone's on trial for murder, for having destroyed an android. All right, that's a hook. And then you build everything up from the hook. There are other examples, but that will suffice. Oh, hey.
Carrying On, uh, podcast episode 242. Uh, we continue to consider the different Greek words in the New Testament for various sins. We're calling this hermartiology, and today's word is empadzo, empadzo, uh, E-M-P-A-I-D-Z-O, empadzo, which means to mock, to mock, the verb to mock. Now, there, there are a few uses of the word which do not entail sin, do not necessitate sin, as when the wise men escaped from Herod, and the scriptures say that they did this in a way that mocked him. Um, Matthew 2, 16. So the wise men escaping from Herod uh, mocked Herod. Another time is the fellow who didn't count the cost before building his tower, with the result that, it, that he had a half-finished tower along with the mockery of his neighbors. That's in Luke 14, 29. Look at this guy who started what he can't finish. But those two examples aside, most of the time, the word refers to a particular virulent and vicious sin. We see that in Mark 15, 20, Luke 22, 36, and Luke 22, 63. Most of the time, it refers to a very um, um, potent sin. And shall deliver him to the Gentiles to mock and to scourge and to crucify him. And the third day he shall rise again. That's in Matthew 20, 19. And you can also consider Mark 10, 34 and Luke 18, 32. So uh, he's turned over to the Gentiles uh, that he might be mocked. This is what the soldiers did, the men who had Christ in custody. And when they had played, and when they had um, platted a crown of thorns, they put it on his head and a reed in his right hand, and a reed for a scepter, and they bowed the knee before him and mocked him, saying, there it is, mocked him, saying, Hail, King of the Jews, Matthew 27, 29, Matthew 27, 31. And here's another, another one from Luke, Luke 23, 11. And Herod, with his men of war, and Her excuse me, and Herod, with his men of war, set him at naught and mocked him and arrayed him in a gorgeous robe, and sent him again to Pilate. So the mockery is something that uh, helps the people who are doing an abusive thing to justify the abusive thing to themselves or in their own minds. And even the, ruler, even the rulers of the Jews uh, joined in the mockery, being unable to contain themselves. So the soldiers we're just, you know, we're just doing their job nailing this man to the cross. But they found it easier um, to treat him that way if they were also willing to heap contempt upon him. Uh, if if someone if someone is an executioner and they are having to execute someone that they sincerely believe to be the most marvelous person in the world, uh, that's going to be really hard to do. One of the things that people in those um, positions do then is they, they cook up uh, a false indignation that justifies the treatment and that indignation or anger uh, results in bitter mockery. Um, so, but the soldiers are just doing their work. The, the rulers of the Jews, the ones who had con convicted Jesus, joined in the mockery being unable to contain themselves. Uh, you see that in Mark 15, 31. Likewise, oh, excuse me, that's uh, Matthew 27, 41. Likewise, also the chief priests 
mocking him with the scribes and elders, said. So notice, chief priests, scribes, elders. They, they were so uh, worked up about how Jesus made them feel, they couldn't contain themselves. They had to go down to the cross in order to taunt. And then in Mark 15, 31, likewise also the chief priests mocking said among themselves with the scribes, he saved others himself, he cannot save. So he saved others, but look, he's, um, he's unable to, to do anything at all to save himself. So continuing on with the podcast, this is episode 242. 242. Uh, the book I want to review today is a book uh, edited by a gent named Carrie, last name of Carrie, and the book is called Freedom and Virtue. Freedom and Virtue. Um, I read this book because, um, well, I'm, I serve on the NSA board, the New St. Andrews uh, Board of uh, Trustees, and one of the, and we meet four times a year. And one of the things that our, our board does that I really appreciate is that we, um, in between each of our board meet, meetings, we all read a book together. So, um, so the, the board is um, providing sort of theological, political, cultural leadership uh, to the college, and we want that leadership to be informed and educated and shaped by uh, um, good, wise, uh, godly uh, input. This book is called Freedom and Virtue. And what it is, is, that is this is a collection of essays that, re that record and register the debate between historic um, conservatives in the uh, Edmund Burke tradition of conservatism and libertarians. Libertarians are descended from classical liberals. So the, the, the classical liberals being men like uh, Adam Smith and so on. So you've got the liber in and in modern conservative politics, these two strains are very much uh, in evidence. There's the libertarian strain and there is the conservative strain. Now, the, the thing that they have in common is that they are both suspicious of um, big government. They are, they, they are both jealous for individual rights and so on. But the, the conservatives are, do not absolutize individual rights. They do, however, prioritize uh, individual rights, and there's, there's the rub. So this, this book is written... Uh, by the contributors to the collection of essays, this ongoing debate, uh, the contributors are writing either from a classic uh, conservative standpoint or a libertarian standpoint, like Murray Rothbard, for example, is one of the contributors. Richard Weaver, as a conservative contributor, is a conservative contributor. Murray Rothbard contributes um, uh, the. Um, uh, the libertarian perspective. And then there's a third group uh, that I guess you could call the fusionists. Uh, these are the people who want to, to make sense out of some sort of working arrangement where the conservatives and the libertarians can work together. So you've got the conservatives on the one hand, the libertarians on the other, and then the fusionists. 
Now, one of the things that struck me is that um, fusionism. I think I think there really is a, a possibility of uh, a fusionist approach, but it will have to be the conservatives accommodating the libertarians. So a fusionist approach can be hammered out by the conservatives. I don't think the libertarians can hammer out a fusionist approach. Put another way is that conservatism is a worldview and can incorporate libertarianism into its worldview. But libertarianism is an ideology, not a worldview. And so consequently, there are many elements of conservatism that they can they could not incorporate into their outlook. Uh, so um, conservatism can contain libertarianism. Libertarianism cannot contain conservatism. Um, so what, what do I mean? And this is one of the reasons why I call my position theocratic libertarianism. Um, what, where, where should we be libertarian? Well, when it comes to the manufacture and pricing and distribution of widgets, when someone wants to make a living by selling widgets, he should be able to do so without being harassed or harried or taxed or insulted by government officials. Um, but when it comes to um, making individual rights the benchmark standard, instead of um, the, the conservatives want the standard that we live by to arise from a transcendent God. The, the conservatives want a, a voice from outside. And the libertarians, um, uh, well, a number of libertarians are atheistic, so there is no voice from outside in their, in their framework, in their uh, worldview. And so consequently, um, they, they, they can't make space for that. Um, they, they can just arbitrarily freeze the value of individual liberty, individual rights. Um, the conservative can say, uh, there, there's a God in heaven. He's required us to treat one another right. We define individuals according to his word. And so consequently, we are going to be uh, civil to one another. We're not, going to, we're not going to enslave the populace because they're created in the image of God. Um, so the conservative can make room. The, it, it's possible to have a conservative slash libertarian fusion. I don't think, and I think you will see very clearly if you read this book, it would not be possible to have a libertarian slash conservative fusion. Good book. If you'd like more of this kind of content, be sure to check out Canon Plus. That's where you can find all of my audiobooks and a huge collection of resources to help you engage with culture and live faithfully. By subscribing to Canon Plus, you're supporting the making of this show and more. If you haven't joined up yet, you can get your first month for just 99 cents by using the promo code Doug99.